All right, well, it's a natural question to ask, how did we get here? Yeah, just in our, in our cultural moment. How did, how did we get here? Uh, it's a natural question to ask often. My kids, if you were here with us last week, uh, you heard a story about us traveling and some of the debacles there. Um, but uh, the kids, th- my kids, I have six, four, and two-year-old, and they all think it's a crisis if they're in the, the car for more than seven minutes. They're just like, what's, what's wrong? Why, why? I don't want this. I don't know what's going on now. So let's, uh, let's get out of here, maybe get to our destination right now, and go have fun. I'm like, hey, seven hours to the beach, kids. Buckle up. Let's just go. Um, but they ask often, how, do we, how are we going to get there and all that? And are we here, and are we here yet? And I think that's an important hinge question question for us to kind of think through today, because what we see here in this passage of how did we get here um, is Andrew and Philip doing something whenever they saw Jesus. They said, okay, we've seen the Messiah. We, we know where he is. We know what he's like. And their first response was to say, we got to go. We got to go tell Andrew uh, went to go tell his brother, um, who Jesus immediately renamed, which I love that, called him, renamed him just immediately um, to show his just omnipotence over um, Peter's life from the very, uh, from the very jump. He said, hey, you got to come see the, check out this Messiah. And, and then uh, Philip went and got, or Andrew went and got, um, uh, Peter and Philip went and got Nathaniel. That was the first thing that, first thing that they did. And so I wonder... I wonder, let me apply it to this room. How did you get here? I'm not talking about Redeemer Church. I'm talking about in this stage of your life. How did you get here? Who's the Andrew in your life? Who's the Philip in your life? Who's the, who's the person that said, hey, here's this Christian worldview. Here's this Christian worldview. Here's Jesus. I have beheld the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Come and see. Um, enough for the Andrews and for the Phillips in our life. This has been shaped, has been shaped by another human being. Maybe it's a group, maybe it's a group of people. And are you thankful for them? Praise God for them. If you're a follower of Jesus right now, praise God for that person. Now, here's another question. Who are you an Andrew to? Who are you who are you a, a, a Philip to? Who looks at you and says, I'm really, really thankful because they have carried me along on this path? Who says, that about, who says that about you? And I wonder in our cultural moment, you're like, man, Cody, that's a hard, that's a really, really hard question. I know it's a hard question. I know it's a hard question. I'll tell you what, for me, I'm, I'm thankful for many people in, in this room. I'm particularly thankful for Eb Stewart, for Brent Holsberry, really thankful for John Newby, really thankful for Russell Long, men that care for me, that love me, that pray for me on a weekly basis. I'm really thankful. They're Andrews in my life. They point me, they point me to Jesus, and I'm super thankful for them. Who is really thankful for you right now, Redeemer? Who can say, you know what, that, that person played a, a significant role in my relationship with Christ. Because if we're, if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we struggle with that, and we will be brought up into a Christian culture, be brought up into a Christian culture that says, how did we get here to where there's no more Andrews? Because my call today is we need more Andrews. 
And we need more Andrews. Uh, in, in, in the world, we need more Andrews and Phillips in, in this church. We need more Andrews and Phillips in this town, in this state, in this country to go all the way to the ends of the earth. Now, I read a really interesting book uh, called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. He probably, this is probably the third time I've mentioned it from, uh, from this plas- platform. And it's a book by Carl Truman. Carl Truman wrote it, like unveiled it in 2020. It was a very long, um, very dense research book. If you love research papers, uh, guess what? This is the book for you. I encourage you to be wide-eyed if you want to retain any of it. This is not nighttime reading material uh, unless you're ready to go to sleep. So this is, how this, <laughs> this is how this whole thing works. And he says, there has been a massive shift in our culture post-World War II. Post-World War II... What it, whenever people were talking about what it means to be human, what it means to have courage, what it means to have integrity, what it means to answer the call, they, they answered this question this way. Do I have what it takes to subjugate, to sacrifice my own wants, for my, my own desires for the greater good of my neighbor, my country, and my family? That was what it meant to be human post-World War II. Do I have what it takes You get what I'm saying? Do I have what it takes? Can I lay down? Can I lay down my desires? Can I sacrifice who I want to be so that I can make a better country, I can be a better neighbor and be a good husband, spouse, citizen, whatever? That was the cultural waters that everyone was swimming in post-World War II. And then he goes on to say in his book that things have changed. In 2020, the ultimate, the new normal, Uh, To answer the question, do I have what it takes, is do I have what it takes to forsake everything else? Do I have what it takes to forsake all the, the constraints that society puts on me? Do I have what it takes to throw off all the constraints that the church set, set upon me, that the, the, the culture that I was brought up, do I, am, I, am I free enough, am I individually free enough to throw off all these shackles, to throw them all off to be who I truly am? You see, it's the exact opposite. One was sacrificial. The other one, the the point of his entire book, it's the rise and the triumph of the modern self of how did we get here? J.D. Greer put a good example to this, um, to what I'm trying to say by this. J.D. Greer is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention for the last couple of years, and he brought out a very important uh, thing. He said, "If if I left my wife, he's married, I think he has four kids. He says, if I left my wife for another woman, there would be a campaign against me to destroy Christianity. See, to destroy the Southern Baptist Convention, to destroy his church. They would say, look at the hypocrisy here. Uh, this, this has nothing to do with Christ, and this was all a sham. The whole church would fall apart, but listen, listen. Then he goes on to say this. He says, in our cultural moment, if I left my wife, if I left my wife to be in a relationship with a man, He said, I would be celebrated by this culture. I would be on Oprah. I would be be on CNN. I would be on MSNBC. I'd probably be on Fox. I'd be celebrated within this culture to be like, he has true courage. He has true boldness. He has real integrity. Why? Because he's just living out his true self. He's just living out his truth. How bold, how courageous is is this man? And so there's something... How did we get here? How did we get here? 
Because right now we're in a cultural moment to where we say, sacrifice everything just to do you, bro. You do the thing that you want to do. Uh, there, is no, there is no absolute truth. It's just find your own truth. Discover that. No one, no one has the right to tell you that that truth is lower than any other higher truth. No one has the right to say that. That's the cultural moment that we find ourselves in. And if, you, if we see any expressions of that, that's the new courageous. That's the new boldness. That's the new true integrity. And the problem with that is this. The call that Jesus calls us to is not to try to discover our true self, but to lay down ourselves for the sake of following him, to pursue him, to pursue him as the higher calling. Not God, I mean, not country, not uh, family, whatever, not, not any of this, but to pursue him as the highest order, to sacrifice everything that you are for the sake of following him. Jesus destroys this call to the modern self, to the rise and triumph of the modern self because he calls you to be a disciple. And in this word disciple, we get the word what? Discipline, discipline. And our, and our culture and our society almost has no understanding whenever it comes to this question of how did we get here and what is a good cultural understanding of what we should be striving towards. It has no understanding of what discipline is, that we should subjugate our present desires for a greater future, higher, more noble cause and goal. The call of the Christian is to pursue Christ above everything. Everything in your life is secondary compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing, treasuring, delighting, and following Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John very rarely all have the exact same verse in them. Anytime it does say the exact same verse, you need to be paying attention to that. Guess what? That means that it was a, a cornerstone of Jesus' ministry. Now, everything in the Bible is true, but whenever it's repeated over and over and over again, all the disciples get, yeah, this is, this is like the top-tier thing that we need to try to understand. Matthew 16, 25 Mark 8, 35, Luke 17, 33, and John 12, 25 all say this exact same verse, and here it is. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see the lie that our culture is trying to, to, try to get us to bite on? That your, your individualism is the highest order. And if you're trying to keep your life, if you're trying to find out the meaning of your life, guess what? Guess what? You will lose it and you'll never find it. You'll lose it and you'll never find it. You will grasp and grasp and grasp and always come up wanting. This is the call of Christ. This is the call of Christ. And so what we see here in this passage is the call of being a disciple, a real follower. And so let's organize our time like this. Three, three things. Jesus calls us to be a disciple. He calls us to follow him in our discipleship. And he calls us to an overwhelmingly great adventure. Okay? So he calls us. He calls us to follow him in our discipleship. And he calls us to an amazing adventure that we need to embrace. So number one, he calls us. Verse 38. Look what it says. He was walking along. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And they say, Why are we still with you, John the Baptist? 
you've been telling us about him. There he is. We're going to go follow him. And Jesus turned and saw them and said, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. Come and see. In verse 43, it tells the second encounter of him calling his disciples and says the next day Jesus decided to go up to Galilee and found Philip, who he apparently already knew, and just said, hey, you, follow me. Follow me. Here is the call. Pick up your cross and follow me. We need to understand what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus. Following someone means that you leave a place that you are at and you subjugate yourself to another. Notice they didn't just say in this passage, they didn't just say, oh, where are you going, Jesus? They said, where are you staying? Where are you staying? They were answering the call to follow him no matter what, to go where he, he went, to do what he did. And here's the thing. The call is to many, but Jesus is not super interested Listen to me. He's not super interested with those that just are kind of on the periphery with him. He wants people to come in and stay. That's why we hear about uh, Andrew and Philip here. And the other apostle was most likely the apostle John who was writing this, but he never names himself in this, pa- in this passage or even in the entire book, he never names himself. And Jesus is not really interested on, the, on, on you just staying out here Looking at Jesus, maybe being a fan of Jesus? No, he just wants a disciple. He just wants a follower. Remember in Luke 9, whenever someone in the crowd yells out, you are the son of God, and they're all excited, and they're like, oh, yeah, Jesus, you're the son of God. You remember how he responds to Luke chapter 9? He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. You still going to follow me? You're like, Jesus, that's not a very good, like, we need more pep. You know, like, that's not, that's not the best way to, to recruit a movement. He said something good. You're the son of God. And he was just like, you're going to follow me when it's hard? That was the first thing that he said. That's the first thing that he said. He's like, Jesus, we got to work on your PR, man. Like, uh, you got the crowds. You know, you, you want to be nice to them so that you keep them. But he's not super interested in that. He's not super interested. He's never interested in those that are just hanging around him. Notice that? He's never interested in that. And let me pose a question to us all in this room that this might apply to you. Are you all in following Jesus? Or have you for a long time or maybe even a short time just been a fan of him? Are you a follower? Or have you been on the periphery enjoying the crowds, enjoying the stuff, But whenever he says, come and stay with me, you say, ah, I actually, I like the outside. I like the, I'm a a back row kind of churchgoer. So here's a couple of things that I want us to to think about as examples. As examples that those that Jesus was really harsh towards. He was really harsh towards. um, That were, he identified as fans and not really followers. Here's one reason, one thing that you could be. Uh, that might identify you as a fan. You like the crowds of church. (laughs) You like the crowds. Anytime Jesus is doing something, there's always a crowd around him. And that makes sense. He's the son of God. Um, there's, there's, something, there's something about him, and there are crowds. He, even here on this earth, there's going to be crowds surrounding Jesus. 
the movement, because Jesus is the crucified or resurrected one. He's alive. And so anytime uh, the spirit uh, of God is working in a place, there's going to be a crowd that fills up. There's going to be a crowd that looks around. I think Hebrews 6 is talking a whole lot about this whenever it's just, and whenever it's talking about there's some people that have been swept up in a movement of God that don't really belong to him, that don't really follow him, but they're just swept up in it. And then whenever things get hard, they kind of dip out. Why? Because they liked being a part of the crowd and didn't necessarily like the object of worship that the crowd was following. They were not actually all in with the one that the crowd was trying to worship and follow. They're just there for the crowd. This is so easy within our American culture, is it not? In our American culture, we say, well, we're not Muslim. So uh, I, I, guess we're, I guess we're Christian, default, you know, like if the little survey, the little voting survey comes around, what are you? I was like, well, I'm not Hindu, I'm not Buddhist, I'm just like... There's a Baptist church down, down the road. There's a Lutheran church over here. I guess I'm Christian. Like, I feel like I'm Christian. And it's so easy for us to kind of just check, check the box. And then uh, I've heard a lot of people's stories. They come to college. The first couple of friends they meet are Christians. And they're just like, well, I don't want to be friendless. And these people are nice. And so I hard on the crowds. Jesus always teaches his hardest lessons whenever the largest crowds are around. You want to know why? Because he wants followers. He wants followers. He wants those to answer the call. He's calling disciples. He's not calling just converts. He's not just calling those that say, oh yeah, I believe, but I prefer to stay out here because I'm a little introverted. No, he's saying full-fledged discipleship following me. Who's in? He wants those that are all in. Another way that uh, you can kind of figure out if you're on the periphery, do you, uh, there's a lot of people that follow Jesus because they wanted a miracle done. They wanted a miracle done. You see, there was a lot of people that hung around Jesus because they were trying to get something from Jesus. Is that you? Is that you? I've heard time and time again, hey, what, you, you go to church somewhere? He's like, man, we really don't, but I need to because, man, I, I need to go to church because I think my kids need a good, some good role models. I think my kids need some good role models. My, my, my marriage is kind of, it's rocky right now. So I, I think we need to jump back into it. I think we need to try to figure that thing, this whole thing out. Or maybe you, you're a little bit further down in, in your life and you're just thinking to yourself, and you're like, man, there's some goals that I thought I was going to meet and I haven't met them. And there's this emptiness that I still feel deep in my soul. There's this emptiness that I feel, and so maybe that church thing will fill up this emptiness to where I feel a little bit better. Have you thought about, have you thought about any of the, those things that kind of shape? Are you bargaining with God? He's saying, Jesus, I know he, he, they said he was kind of powerful. Is your relationship with him based on a bargaining ship? Just where, like, maybe I give him a little worship, and maybe since he knows everything, he'll give me the stuff that I want. Is, is, this, is this your relationship with God? Are you, are you, with, are you following Jesus be, just because of the miracles? Are you following Jesus because he's Lord and you've answered the call? Jesus has never been easy on those that have just hung around waiting for miracles. He wants followers. He wants followers. Some people hang around Jesus because they just want enough knowledge to feel superior around other people. Right? Right? You know that this, this comes out real quick 
real quick in uh, small groups and Bible studies and stuff like that. You want just enough Bible knowledge, just enough YouTube videos that you've watched on apologetics about this thing over here or that thing over here. And they use the word of God as a club, as a club to kind of one up each other and to beat people and just say, oh, you know, is the, the righteousness of Christ infused or imputed? Oh, you don't know. Oh, man, I guess I need to go to a better Bible study that uh, I can talk about these loftier things of the faith. Oh, man, I, I thought this church was for real. I guess not. And they use the word of God not, not, as, not as a healing balm. Not as something that can shape and change and to be filled with the compassion of Christ and the humility to say, what, what areas of your life you're, are you not obeying? Let's cut that out. Let's cut that out and submit ourselves to the word of God. Some people just, you, just show up and they don't answer to the call. They're just using the call to fill this, sense, this void within their heart, to have some form of power, some form of control over people. And it's a shame. And it happens all, happens all the time. Jesus doesn't want people to hang around. He doesn't want people to, to, to use him. You can't use him. You can't just be a fan of him. He calls you to follow him. He calls you to be his disciple. He calls you to have discipline and obedience. This is the call. To subjugate your wants, your desires, your feelings of your heart and say, what does the word of God say and how can I do that? How can I do that? That's the call of following, of following Jesus, which is the second point. The highest priority of the Christian life is to follow him in discipleship. Well, what does this mean to follow? What does it mean to follow? It means that Jesus has to be at the center point of everything that you are. All of your decision-making revolves around, does this glorify Christ and does it make much of his name? Your time management revolves around, Jesus is Lord, and I have a relationship with him, and the, the most purposeful thing I can do as a human being is to cultivate this relationship. So before, before I interact with anything else in my day, I'm going to interact with the God of the universe who calls me into relationship with him. This is what it means to follow to be, to be a part of who he is and what, what he, this is what it means to be in relationship with him. This is why we say here at Redeemer Church, we want to be gospel-centered in all that we do. All of our decision-making needs to revolve around, revolve around the good news of the gospel, that Jesus lived the life that I should have lived, died the death that I deserve to die, rose again for the justification of my sins. And that is the primary motivation for everything that I do in this life. That is the primary motivation of everything that I do. It's not, well, how much do I need to get done this week? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's what he says, right? Amen? And does he say, that's going to be really, really hard. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden's light. Follow me. Center me. Center everything in your life around me. That's why verse 38 says, where are you staying? I said this earlier, but I just want to reiterate it. Where are you staying? They knew that the call to follow Jesus was to say, hey, we have no other plans that are not under. We have no more plans. All of our plans are under what you do, how you do it, what, like, how you orchestrate your time, and we're going to do it now. We're going to do it, and we're going to follow you, and we're going to watch you. 
in all of our lives, listen, all of our lives has the center is revolving around something. It's part of the Imago Dei. If we're made for God, we're made for worship because that's the only thing that a creature can do to the creator is to worship. But in the fall, guess what happened? Our worship got disoriented. It got disoriented, and then we put something that was supposed to be for God at the center of our lives. We put something. And whenever we put something at the center of our lives, that thing will destroy us. We will chase it. Maybe it's your work. Maybe you're, in, uh, maybe you're one of those people that have uh, a serial, serial hobbies that you can't, just can't seem to, um, to find contentment in life. You do this thing, and like, you're really, really big on this thing. And it's like, oh, are you still doing that thing? It's like, no, I got bored with it, and now I'm go over here. I got bored with pickleball, now I'm doing frisbee golf. I got bored with frisbee golf, now I'm doing ultimate. I got bored with ultimate, now I'm doing Pokemon cards. Whatever it is, I don't know. And people are, why have you given that up? And he's like, man, you know, it's got boring, just got whatever. You know, people that are serial daters, right? They can't, they can't not have someone in their life. College students, you know this, right? You're like, well, that person, they broke up with that dude two days ago, and now they're with someone two days later. Man, what are they doing? They're trying to fill the center of their life with something. With something. Hobbies, work. This is why we overwork. We overwork because we have to have something that's at the center of our life that all of our existence revolves around. And so we overwork because, well, it's the center of my life. It's what I have to do. Man, you have time for Jesus? Man, I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy. What does that say? What does it say about us? Whenever we have this spiritual brokenness deep into our hearts, I'm right there with you. This is not me condemning, saying shame on you. This is us trying to recognize the reality of who our God is and what he deserves. What he deserves from us. He's not calling us to be a fan. He's calling us to be a disciple. Because everything else that we put at the center of our life will leave us wanting or chasing it so much that we're so burnt out that we hate the thing. And we hate it. It will always leave us thirsty for more. You know what Jesus says? He says, come and follow me. Come and see. Come and see the Alpha, the Omega. So if you're in this room and you've been chasing something, you have something at the center of your life that is not God, guess what? He's saying, come and see what happens whenever you put me at the center. Whenever I am in the primary thing that you are seeking, whenever I am the primary thing that you are pursuing, guess what will happen to your life? All other things will be added, he says. Top priority means to follow him. Total obedience to Christ. There's so many of us in this room uh, that are students, right? And that's really what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a student of Christ, a follower of him. What, what does it mean to be a full-time student? I don't know, 15 credit hours, uh, maybe a full-time job, something like that. That's not this type of student. This type of student says, where are you staying? How can I observe everything that you are doing and therefore subjugate my life as a student under the teacher every day, every moment of my life? Total surrender, total obedience. And listen, I know that this is scary. <laughs> I say that and because we're shaped by the culture, right? We're shaped by the rise and triumph of 
the exaltation of self. Shouldn't I want um, God to be for me? Why doesn't God do everything according to my plans, declares me? I understand that it's scary. I understand. But listen, we have to understand who God is. We have different relationships with different things. This piece of paper right here in my hand, this is, this is something that I can manipulate. It's just an object. My relationship to it is impersonal. I can wad it up. I can, I can destroy it. I can make it into a paper airplane. I can read it if I want to. I can throw it down if I want to. This is my relationship with a thing. My relationship with a person is totally different than my relationship with a thing. I'm totally in control with this. With a person, a person has a will. A person has hopes, dreams, desires, and I can't treat them as an object. If you treat a person like you treat, a, treat an object, guess what? You won't be in intimate relationship with that person very long. They will leave, right? They will leave. They won't tolerate you saying, um, I'm, I'm going to treat you like an object, I want you to be totally subjugated to my will and my will alone. I don't care about your feelings. I don't care about your will. I don't care about your desires. That's not how relationships work. You tracking? You with me? That's not how relationships work. Now, God Almighty, how does our relationship with him work? Well, God upholds the entire universe with the word of his power. I can't even tell my wife to make me a sandwich, and she do it, all right? Say, honey, can you make me a sandwich? Make your own sandwich, right? Um, I was like, my words have so little power. But God, however vast the universe is, upholds it all in perfect clockwork so that it, it makes perfect sense that the sun rises and the moon sets and the moon does the little thing to where we see parts of it and then we don't see parts of it. I have no idea how any of that works. I know I sound dumb. But he's doing all of that with the words of his power. Just his words. Not a big deal to this God. How can you have a relationship with him? The same, I think so many of us in this room think we can have a relationship with God, the, the almighty king of the universe, in a, in, in a more treacherous way than we even have a relationship with another human being. We treat him as an object. How can we, how can we look to God and say, hey, God, I know your word says all this stuff, and I'm supposed to have a relationship with you and stuff, but this tragic thing happened, and it didn't go according to my plan, so therefore, I'm going to ignore you for the next four months. I'm going to utterly ignore you. That's not how relationships work. If you ignore one of your friends for four months, what happens? Y'all stop being friends. There's no real intimacy. There's no real relationship there, right? And how dare we? How dare we say, oh, we can treat God worse than scum and still say that, yeah, I'm a, doubt, I'm a devout follower of him. And yet so often in American churches, listen to me, what do we do? We go to church. We ignore God for months at a time. We don't try to hear his word. We don't pray to him. We don't do anything. And yet we have full assurance that we're following him. We have full assurance of that. Why? Why do we do that? Why do I sometimes do that? Yes, sometimes I do that. You wanna know why? Because my heart is desperately sick and wicked. Who will save me from this body of death? I'm right there with you. In the brokenness of my heart to where I think I can treat God Almighty less than I treat a friend. 
or even an enemy. So where's our hope? Where's our hope? He's calling us to follow him. In this following, listen, we see, we see the brokenness of our lives. We see the call to follow him, and it scares us. It scares me too. It scares me too. But that's because we don't understand how great of a calling it is to hear from the Lord. He is calling us to himself. He's calling us to relationship with him. How beautiful is that? That he's existed from all of eternity. He says, enter in, walk in, walk in. And he receives you with grace upon grace upon grace. Look at the end of this. Look at the end of this. It says in verse 50, it says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree and you did believe, you will see greater things than this. And then verse 51 is amazing. And you have to know your Old Testament to know, but I'm going to explain it. He says, truly, truly, I say to you that you will see heaven opened in the angels of God, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Listen to me. He is hearkening back. He's hearkening back to Jacob's ladder. And Jacob's ladder was the first time that someone saw heaven opened up and there was a touch point between heaven and earth. There's a touch point between heaven and earth and Jacob woke up from this dream and the touch point disappeared. He says, behold, I'm on holy ground. I'm at the place where God himself has touched the earth. Where Jesus is saying, I am the touch point between heaven and earth. That's the adventure that he's calling you into. That's the adventure that he's calling you into. You want to know what it means to follow me? Delight in the touch point between heaven and earth. And it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. It's found in the person of Jesus Christ, who is the king of the universe, but yet he is filled with compassion, grace, to where even whenever we run away from him, he just says, come, come, stop being a fan. Stop interacting with me the same way you have for the last decade. Follow me completely. And whenever you do, the heaven will open up and you'll say, I have relationship. I have relationship with the center of heaven, which is God himself. This is the adventure that he's calling you to. Stop being a fan. Go all in. You will be wanting your entire life if you stay on the periphery. You will be struggling your entire life and you'll be wondering, why does Christianity not work? Why does this not work? It's not working. My heart is still empty. Follow him. Psalm 1, you know what that says? It, it says, those, those that trust in the Lord delight, delight in the law of God. Do you delight when God gives you a law? How you answer that question shows you the condition of your heart right now. Do you delight when God calls you to obedience? That's, that's the metric of you being a fan or a follower. Is your heart posture saying, yes, God, command me more. Walk me through what it means to be obedient. Walk me through it. Because life, which is truly life, is found in being a follower, not on the periphery, this is our God. We interact with him in a beautiful way. He gives us himself. He gives us himself. There's so many people hanging around Christianity because they're filled with guilt. Maybe they're guilt filled with curiosity. Is this thing for real or is this thing not? Maybe you're 
waiting for a miracle. Maybe you're still bargaining with God. God, if you fix this thing in my life, then maybe I will give you a little bit of worship. What in the world is that? That's paganism. That's, that's you saying, oh, maybe I need to do this worship dance for the rain god so that he'll make my crops grow. That's nothing, that has nothing to do with Christianity. Christianity is, a, is an alive God who wants fellowship with you and intimacy with you to subjugate yourself under the law and obedience of our almighty God. And Jesus states, if you do that, I give you heaven itself. Heaven itself will all open up to you. All that I have, I will give to you. What kind of lopsided deal is that? How can we not go all in with him? How can we not? Let's pray.